He was our 26th president, and he was quite a character. Uh, his name was Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, the picture on the left-hand side of the screen was uh, Roosevelt as the rough rider who stormed San Juan Hill in Cuba. And there was a volunteer group of soldiers that went down to Cuba during a war that we fought in that area. But he, he was something. He was, um, became president at the turn of the century. He was a vice president to McKinley. McKinley got shot and killed, and uh, Roosevelt took over. He was elected the next time the election cycle came up. It's the first president that was actually elected after taking over from an assassination. Uh, Roosevelt served that second term and could have run for a third term, but he chose not to, chose to retire and go to Africa to hunt big game, the elephants and lions down there. Uh, before leaving town, he tapped a man named William Taft to become president, and uh, he was elected. But when Roosevelt got back from the safari a year later, he was displeased with Taft. He'd made some decisions that angered Roosevelt, and Teddy Roosevelt was not a man to be angered. And so the next time election came up, he ran for the Republican nomination against Taft, but narrowly lost. But he wasn't going to the homestead quite yet because he formed his own political party, much like the Tea Party formed a few years ago. He formed his own political party named the Bull Moose Party, which was appropriate for Teddy Roosevelt. Hardly got on the campaign trail when he was preparing to go to a speech when he was shot. And the assailant's bullet went through his overcoat, through a 50-page speech, through an eyeglass spectacle, fracturing a rib and landing about an inch away from Roosevelt's heart. As they tackled the shooter, Roosevelt shouted, Leave, don't hurt the man! And Roosevelt refused medical attention and went on and gave his speech. And as he stood up to give his speech... Not long into it, he pulled his coat aside, showing the blood-stained shirt, and said this. It said he take, it takes a lot more than a bullet to stop a bull moose. <laughs> and the crowd went crazy. Old Teddy was a character. We get our teddy bear from his name. Do you know that? Kind of inappropriate, but there it is. I think the man who got healed in the, in the court last week walked out and ran into a Pharisee, a lawgiver. And I think if we were there today, he would say it takes more than an old legalist to stop a new life inside of me. When a person gets saved, I mean really saved, Jesus enters the life. And you can expect, not too long after, opposition. Amazing where that opposition comes from. It doesn't usually come from the secular crowd. It usually comes from church members and the religious crowd. The Great Awakening in the 1800s, where evangelicals were preaching through the colonies, was greatly opposed by the then Anglican church who saw all its church members 
stolen from them because they were getting saved. And that's where the opposition came. So I want you to direct your attentions to John chapter 5, and let's study this, this crippled who was now healed as he gets up. I find it fascinating that when he got up, that, that revival didn't break out. He had been laying there for at least 38 years, it says. And so he knew the men he laid with and the women he laid with there. He knew, I mean, day in and day out. And all of a sudden, you look over and the guy who was paralyzed is now walking. But I don't see that happening. I see in Scripture he just got up, took up his bed, and walked out. I find that fascinating. You know, when you get saved, the lost people all around you don't know what happened to you. There's almost no reaction. They don't understand. But the church members do. In fact, I, I, I've put a picture, in fact, a couple of them up on the board so you can be ready for church members and religious people that you might run into with a new life in Christ inside of you. Um, we'll see it in just a minute in Scripture, but I want to show you a picture to help you understand what a legalistic person looks like after you get saved. Okay? Are you ready for this? This is what a good deacon looks like, perhaps. There you go. I want that picture planted upon your mind. Because when you get saved, all of a sudden, deacon so-and-so will come along and give you that look. They may look at the whiskers on your chin. They may look at the way you're dressed. They may look at something you might do. Oh, you went to the movies? They might, they might run down of, oh, now that you're a Christian, let me get you understanding what it means to be a Christian. And this is the look you got. Give you one more picture to plant within your mind to help you understand. I borrowed this picture from the Pope. Not personally, but, you know, from, from the stuff. Yes, there it is. There's the peace dove that the Pope let go. This shows you, by the way, that shows you what religious, religion can do for world peace. Yeah, there, there comes the old crow down to eat it, you know. So, by the way, the animal rights groups have petitioned the Pope to quit releasing these peace doves because they're getting tore up by the crows. But that aside, I want you to, this is what happens to a brand new, you got it? clamping into you, squeezing the life out of you. Okay, got those uh, pictures firmly in your mind. I want you to go to John chapter 5. Look down with me at verse, oh, let's go to verse 9. Jesus had told the man to get up, take up your bed, and walk. The bed back then wasn't a sealy posturpedic. It was a bedroll, maybe something like that. It was nothing more than a pallet. Look at verse 9. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. The crippled man had three basic things wrong with him. First of all, he had somewhere in his body that did not allow him to walk. Whether it was a nerve that had gone out, whether it was a dislocation, 
Some disease had attacked him whereby he could not walk. As he laid there week after week and month after month, muscle mass was lost. If you were to lay in a bed for a few months, the muscle mass in your leg would be completely, well, gone. The third thing, you would forget how to walk. Do you know that? Walking, we take it for granted, but it's an exercise of the mind, of balance, moving forward. We don't think about it, but it is. So he had an essential problem brought on by who knows what, which created a loss of muscle mass in his legs. And he laid there for so long that in his mind, he didn't know how to walk. Those who lose the ability to walk must learn in their minds to walk again. Are you listening very carefully? In one moment that Jesus said, get up, instantly three things happened. The essential core problem was resolved. Muscle mass instantly surged within his legs, and his mind told him how to walk again. Do you see the miracle of that? Listen very carefully. We are, we are saved within our souls, but we are also saved within our spirits and within our bodies. We are saved completely all at once. Now, the essential area is the inside constitution within us, our souls, the combination of spirit and body joined together for the soul. That is saved. But also we need to learn to think now according to that which he did in the soul. And as we think, we walk. Got it? All together, this man was healed all at once. And he was told to pick up his bed. Now, Jesus knew exactly what day it was. He knew it was the Sabbath. And when he told him to pick up his bed, he knew exactly what he was doing. Do you understand? He could have looked at the man and said, hey, buddy, I know it's Saturday. I understand if you pick this up and you begin to walk with this, you're going to be confronted by scribes and Pharisees. But I want you to pick it up anyway. Do you understand? He knew exactly what he was doing. Now, if you're a person of my personality, you might interpret that as egging on or picking a fight with the Pharisees. You know, it's like Braveheart. You know, where are you going? I'm going to pick a fight. But in this case, he wasn't going to pick a fight. He didn't want a man to pick a fight with the Pharisees. He wanted the man to understand how free he was from any legalistic domination of any man. Could have avoided the whole thing. He knew it was the Sabbath. Jesus knew what day it was. He knew by asking him to pick it up, what was going to happen, and sure enough, look at verse Look at verse 10. It plays out. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man that had been healed, <laughs> let's stop. I, wanna, I want you to look up here. I want to go one more past this terrible-looking crow. Look at Philippians 3.21. We are redeemed within our mind. We are redeemed within our soul. And do you know we are redeemed within our body? Do you know that? Now, the key to help you understand that is our body is not redeemed yet. But it will be redeemed. But in the mind of God, it is already redeemed. 
The reason we have trouble because we have this old body left. But in the mind of God, it's already redeemed and will re be redeemed. In fact, look at the promise in 3.21 of Philippians. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things unto himself. Got that? So one, one more thing I want to show you before we la launch on. I got, a, I got this in the mail the other day, and it, it tickled me. I always, I always enjoy this. Uh, if you'll notice on the right-hand side, it's addressed to John T. Nutt, John Thomas Nutt, which is Karen's father, who has been with the Lord for a couple years. And so they sent a medical brochure, junk mail, to my house. I can say that now because I don't work for the post office. It's junk mail. On the left-hand side, it says, do you want to improve your health, heart health? February is heart health. So to make this year your healthiest year, <laughs> I think, how healthy is John Nutt right now? Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's, I just I got tickled at that, and I wanted to show it to you. So anyway, all right. Look at verse 10. So the scribes and Pharisees came to him um, and said, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Don't you love that? Here come the crows, in come the clowns, informing the man of what day it was and that he couldn't take up his bed. Now you can, you can restate this in a thousand different ways from a thousand different church members on a thousand different topics. You're a church member now. You need to cut your hair a certain way. You're a church member now. You need to dress in a certain way. You're a church member now. You don't need to go on down to that movie theater. Uh, you're a church member now. You're not to play cards. That was a cardinal sin in Karen's house growing up. Uh, her and her brother made cards out of cardboard and snuck them around behind her, their, their, her mother and father. Uh, you're, you're just filling the blank. You're a church member now. You need to blank, blank, blank. It is the Sabbath. Now where in the world did they get the idea that you couldn't pick up a cot? Well, there is a commandment that on the Sabbath day we are to rest. There is to be no work done on the Sabbath. Well, they went about forming a large formula about what constituted work. How much you could carry. You couldn't carry anything. You couldn't even carry a thimble. How far you could walk. If you walked over a certain distance, it was considered work. They had all these rules. They had nothing to do with the command to rest and not to work. The Sabbath was given for us, was to given to the Jew to rest from his labors. But not to make a big long list that oppresses people. Look at verse 11. But he answered, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. So he falls back on Jesus Jesus has made me whole. I'm walking because of him. He told me to pick up the bed. Sounds reasonable to me. Look at the question of the Pharisees. Something is terribly missing. Verse 12 says, They asked him, Who is the man that said to you, Take up your bed and walk? My, the question ought to be, Who is the man who healed you? You get it? Well, I got saved. Well, good. Sit down and be quiet. <laughs> Let me tell you what's really important. I got life inside of me. That, 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 just calm down. Don't make a disruption about that. 
You make us all feel uncomfortable if you get excited about the life inside of you. Chill out. You are a church member now. You're in a religion. Unbelievable. You see, their whole mentality was them and their religion and fitting you into their little box. But the problem with that is you can't fit life into a box. Life keeps crawling out of the box. You've been doing things that life does. I was so, I love the church. And I love church members because we're all one of them, aren't we? But I'm so glad that my first six months of Christianity was not a part of an organized religion. It was part of a small Bible study group on a naval ship in the middle of the Mediterranean. That's where I cut my teeth on Christ. And when I came back, I entered the religious scene. And for about 18 years, I played that game. Becoming more and more in bondage to the rules of men. And I kept thinking, there's something missing in all this. And the excitement they had was drummed up by the programs that they brought on. And as soon as the program died, we all died. So they brought another program. And we got all excited. And that died and we died. You know, you ever go into the gymnasium with a dead person? Just get them on that elliptico, you know, just keep propping them up. Just walk away. They just all go off the, you know, the treadmill. You let them go on the treadmill and shoot, they're off the back of the treadmill. As long as you keep working with them. But when life enters a man, does it need a religious context? Does it need the rules of men? It just, churches just need to get out of the way of the life of Jesus and just promote that. So anyway, wrong question, wrong guys. The whole mentality is judging somebody else, putting them in their little box so you feel comfortable. So look what happens. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Now that is significant. There is a crowd. Jesus heals a man. And what does he do? He slides off quietly because the healing of the man was not to create a show. The modern evangelical, I'm sorry, the, well, the modern evangelist, let me say, would have set up a platform. Who else would like to be healed? Come on up. I lay my hand on your head and down you'll go. And a create frenzy. What a show that would have been in the temple. But Jesus is not about a show. He's about you and I and the life that he wants to bring inside of us. Do you understand that? It's, 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 it's intimate. It's one-on-one. -on -one, and Jesus touched the man. And so as not to create a panic show, steps off the scene. Don't you love him? Don't you, do you understand what he's all about? Look at, look at the next verse. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Now, I want to show you something, how the man has been described by John, the writer, and, and the people all around him. So go with me, if you will. Um, 
to verse, oh, verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 10. So the Jews said to the man that had been healed, verse 11, the man who healed me. Go down to verse 13. Now the man who had been healed, over and over again he's described as how? The man who had been healed. But when Jesus finds him in the temple, he is no longer described, at least by Jesus, as the man who has been healed. It simply says, Jesus found him. Listen carefully. Jesus doesn't view you as the person that he healed. He views you as a brand new creation. There is no past for you. There's nothing that you've been healed from in the mind of God. Now, I know you look back and say, he healed me from a lot. But when he looks at you, he never looks at anything beyond what he's done in the cross with you. It's gone. And he doesn't find the person that he healed. Listen to me. He finds you. A new creation. So he finds him in the temple. And don't you love that? That in all this mass of people... Jesus bumps into the man. He more than bumps into him. He goes and finds him. Don't you love that? He finds us, doesn't he? In those moments of life when he speaks to us. And there's, at that time, there's nobody else in the temple. Nobody else. It's just you and Jesus. And he finds you. And look what he says to him. See, you are well Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Wow. Apparently, this particular illness and sickness was brought on by the man's sin. That is not always the case, that sickness is brought on by sin. But in this particular case, it was. The man had entered into some kind of sin. And because of that sin, he had been paralyzed. Now, I stop long enough to tell you that sin brings consequences. It always does. Always does. So, don't do it. You bring within your life a weakness. You bring within your life, the if you're a Christian, the chastisement of the Lord because he loves you. Fear the Lord and run from sin because it always brings, con well, you know, I've been doing this stuff for a long time. But it always brings consequences. Do you understand? Okay, so he tells the man, look, look at yourself. You are well. Now, don't, don't do that anymore, that nothing worse may come upon. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. We're not told why the man ran to the Jews and told him. I'm sure it wasn't to get him in trouble or to tell on him. I think he was proud that he found the man that had healed him. I think he wanted those men to know who had healed him. And they came and they, he told them. Look at the next verse. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So they find Jesus, and Jesus answers them and tells them this. My father is working until now, and I am working. 
Now listen carefully what Jesus did, because it's going to tell it in the next verse. My father continually works, and so because he works, I work. Do you think on the Sabbath day God, God rested from a creative work? But the sun still shines, does it not? Do you, do you know if God took one second off from the job that the whole thing would just, do you understand? Everything would, he maintains everything on a 24-7 basis all the time, has from the very beginning. And Jesus said, you know, he, the Father's making the sun shine, so I continue to work. God never stops working. So what is Jesus doing at this very moment? He's proclaiming his equality with God. This is why they hated him. This is why it's very important to understand that Jesus was more than a mere man. And he claimed himself to be God. Very important. Uh, do you know Abraham Lincoln was not born in Illinois or Kentucky or wherever he was born? Do you know he was born in a small town down in South Florida? Do you know that? Seriously. Read your, read your history books. Coral Gables. He was born in a surfing town. Did you know that? He was born to uh, beatnik parents. Um, do you know he had an alcohol problem? Do you know that? Do you know that he, because of his alcoholism, sustained brain damage at the age of 15 and never got an education beyond third grade? Do you know that? Did you know that about Abraham Lincoln? And yet he was the president of the United States. Do you understand how stupid that just sounded? Do you understand how I just took a historical figure and made, said something about him that was absolutely idiotic and absolutely, watch this, disqualified him mentally, emotionally, and spiritually from being able to do what he did in history. Do you understand that? So don't ever think when the cults come along and tell you that Jesus was not God, that it does not matter who he was. If he was not God, then he could not have paid for our sins on the cross. If he could not have paid for our sins on the cross, then we are yet within our sins, and when we die, we go to hell. We are not redeemed. It matters who he was and who he claimed to be. It's that important. Don't bother looking up in your history books. Abe Lincoln was everything it says. Look at verse 18. We'll stop there. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Uh, the Jews didn't have any problem understanding who he said he was. And they began at that point, this is probably a year and a half before the crucifixion, they began to plot his demise. Look, if he just left the, you know, look, if he just healed the man and said, look, it's the Sabbath, leave your bed there because you're going to run into problems with the dudes outside with the long, you know, the, you know, the really, really, just let, let's not cause a problem. But Jesus said, pick up your bed, walk out. I know who you're going to run into. And when you run into him, tell him what I did in your life. 
and let that be the defense. The man didn't throw his bed down and say, whoa, Sabbath, I'm so, whoop, 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 forgot what day it was, fellas, I'm cool. You know, let's go sacrifice, you know, a lamb together. Oh, no. He found, at least Jesus found him, and then he came and said, look, it's, it's the one who healed me. It's Jesus. Paul told the Galatians, stand fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has made you free. And don't be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Do not think just because the Jews' religion is obsolete these days, or at least not a part of what we're doing, that there are not religious people out there, church members, that will try to put you in their box, try to bring you back into bondage from the freedom that you have in Christ. All right, three things. Number one, the essential nature of Christianity is what God has done for you. That's it. The essential nature of the beast is what God has done for you in Christ, in your soul. That's everything. That's the whole ball of wax. I used to think for a long time, God did this, so I do this. I respond by doing this because he did that. He died for you, live for him. You can't, we can't do anything. He has done it all. The ancient theologians stamped a word all across their theology, and it was the word done. When he said it is finished, it is finished. The man's mind was cured, the man's soul was healed, muscle mass surged into his legs. He had received everything, and he even picks up his bed and walks out of there. And all the religious authorities didn't have a clue about what was going on in the man's soul. But like old Teddy Roosevelt, it takes more than a mean church member to stop the life that Christ has brought inside of us. Resistance, always resistance. But the nature of Christianity is a finished work of what God has already accomplished in you. It is now a playing out of that life that he has put inside of you. And has nothing to do with the ceremony of a religion. Number two, after the work of grace is done, life is the natural result of what's going on. Everything in our creation works on the principle of surging life. Look at the pollen on your, on your automobile. It's the oak trees coming back to life. No one's standing around the oak tree going, pollinate, pollinate, surge forth leaves. You'd have that guy committed if you saw somebody out there doing that. The farmers don't stand out in the field. Behold, grow corn, grow. There is something within the seed, something within the ground that creates life that surges forth. That's why I smile when I hear about revivals and revivalism. You only revive that which is dead or dying. What is it about the life of Jesus in the life of the church that is anywhere near death or dying? It is simply for us to realize that the life is in us. 
to believe by faith all that God has declared to be true in us and about us. He never sees us as those who have been healed. He sees us as his children, full of his life. That's what drives us away from sin. That's what drives us away from religion, is that life is inside of us. So the essential after the work of grace is finished and done at the moment of salvation, life becomes its natural outplayer result. Thirdly, and we're done. Few will ever understand what happened to you. They just won't. But you know, don't you? You ever been blessed by a song in the car, you know, some worship song that God just brought you to tears? I remember years ago going across the Dames Point Bridge in a driving rainstorm. I mean, you could hardly see. And a song came on the radio about God's showers of blessings that were coming down in lives. And I mean, I literally broke down in tears. You know, got home, came in, said, Karen, I want to share something. She said, what? I told her the event. She said, that's nice. Could you turn the chicken over there? It's starting to burn. <laughs> yeah, I'll turn the chicken. Wait. No one understands, do they? You know. You know what he's done in you. But don't get discouraged if if people don't share that excitement. Even your friends and loved ones. I mean, we can revel with each other and enjoy this thing together. But I'm telling you, only you know what he's done inside of you, don't you? It's just between you and him most of the time. You can try to share it, but it may not. Especially if you share it with a loss, they're like, hmm, we'll put you away. You're getting a little too much of that stuff down here, I tell you. You need to calm down. You know, don't you? Isn't he good to us? You and I were crippled in that courtyard, paralyzed, man. Couldn't move a muscle. We just keep looking at that water, and that water keeps looking at us, and we keep looking at that water, and every once in a while it bubble up. We try to crawl over there, nothing happened. Go to that church forever, hear that preacher preach, nothing's going on. <laughs> old thing dead in the pile man don't these people know how dead it is down here at the church man i can't wait to get out and eat some fried chicken somewhere you know it just (laughs) things all dead and all of a sudden he walks through one day and he touches you and it's just you and him and he he slides out the side and you got life inside of you and you know you know and you'll always know and your allegiance is always to him always to him not ever to a man or to a religion or to a church. Your allegiance is to Jesus Christ. 